Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. This comes from Psalm chapter 33, which you should have read before watching this video. If you haven't read Psalm 33 yet, pause the video, open Psalm 33 and read it aloud. It's a good place to start today. Today we're talking about the greatness of God, the glory of God and his matchless Christ that we see unfolded for us in the book of Colossians. If you're new, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and I'm coming to you via video as we can't gather just yet. Lord willing, we will gather soon. You should have received some information about that last week. So we're looking forward to gathering again soon. But for now, this. As I mentioned, we are in the New Testament book of Colossians. It's a book that shows us that Jesus takes first place in everything. And we're learning, we're in a section of Colossians about putting Jesus in first place in our lives. Today, most specifically, we're looking at putting Jesus first in our work. Jesus first at work. It's fitting, don't you think? As many Ohioans will be going back to work this week and next week. And I want you to know, I didn't plan for that. It just worked out like that. Despite what you may have been told, COVID-19 and the stay-at-home order, it's not my fault. (laughs) So we're talking about putting Jesus first in our work today. Now, I should probably say, not all of us work jobs in the traditional modern sense. Some of us work jobs in the traditional sense in that we stay at home and we care for kids and we build our home. And uh, some of us are retired, like my good friend Steve, who's helping me with this video. Uh, No matter what your employment situation is, All of us are to put Jesus first in what we do and in how we work. So all that we say today does apply to everyone, and I pray that it is helpful for everyone. Well, real quick, I hope that you are taking the time to listen to our sermon discussion recordings every week. Pastoral candidate Stephen Minter and I sit down and we take some time and look at the text and and kind of unpack it in ways that we really didn't have time for in a sermon. I hope that it has been helpful for you as you using it as a supplement to your meditation on God's Word throughout the week. You can find those recordings on whatever you get your podcasts on, iTunes or whatever. You can listen to it on the church's website. Cool thing about listening to it on the church's website is you can change the playback speed. So you can set that thing to twice speed, listen to it in half the time, and we sound like chipmunks and you can make fun of us. <laughs> or if, you, if you're like my kids, you can listen to it in half speed and we sound drunk. Either way, live your dream, do what pleases you. Um, let, let's begin with prayer. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God of all grace, it is a sign of divine mercy that we can even gather around your word this morning to hear your voice, to heed your call in our lives, 
and to call upon your great name. All of this is made possible by Jesus, your beloved Son, God from God, light from light, the radiance of heaven itself. We come to you through Jesus. Lord, everything you say is wonderful. Every word is a miracle word. How could we not but obey your words? When you speak, it lights up our life. Your word is light, and by your word we see everything. Let ordinary people like us hear your word today and understand its meaning. Lord, we are desperate to hear from you today. Give us your spirit. Give us understanding by your Holy Spirit to know more about your Son. We're hungry and thirsty. Our mouths are watering this morning. Feed us with your word. Teach us your ways. Lord, will you turn to us Please don't leave us to our own thoughts and our own ideas. Be gracious, holy God, and remember your Son. Remember our Savior and turn to us with your limitless grace. We love your ways. We love your name. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, keep us steady. You've promised to keep us. You always keep your promises. Lord, we are so prone to fall, prone to wonder, to sell ourselves into slavery to sin. Lord, would you steady us, steady our pace, secure our footing. May sin never have dominion over us. We are your people called by your name, filled with your spirit. And our deepest desire is to honor you in all things. Lord, would you redeem your church? from the grip of evil men. Release us from any obstacles that would keep us from keeping your laws. We want freedom, freedom to serve you, freedom to exalt you, freedom to worship you. Lord, would you cause your face to shine upon us? Would you give favor to us and teach us your statutes? We look at our world and tears flood our eyes when we see the godless going about their own way, rejecting you, rejecting Jesus, rejecting your spirit, rejecting your word. Lord, forgive them. Save the lost. Use this global pandemic to spark a worldwide revival. In our town, may the citizens of Piqua be given a new sense of their sin and need for Jesus. Draw them to gospel-preaching churches in this town where they will hear the good news of the Lord Jesus and grant to them repentance and faith to believe. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading at verse 17, and I'll read all the way down to chapter 4, verse 1. Today, we're going to focus on the second part, starting in verse 22. But let's open by reading from God's Word, Colossians three seventeen and following. And whatever you do... 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. May he write its eternal truth on all of our hearts. America's rats are getting desperate. They've been hit hard by this pandemic. What with restaurants across the country being closed, there's less garbage and scraps for the rats to eat. Generations of rats have been raised on restaurant scraps and garbage, and now they're left with few options, and those options that they do have are rather grim. And so many rats are turning to cannibalism into epic rat battles. <laughs> there is a rat war going on in our nation's sewers, which <laughs> is probably okay as long as none of them find primordial ooze a joke from the 90s that I doubt very many of you will get. Well, this happens to a population when it is starved of resources. The population turns in on itself. And the same sort of thing can happen to humans in the workplace. Probably not turning to actual cannibalism, at least I hope, but when there is a shortage or a perceived shortage of resources, people get desperate. Let me explain what I mean. Colossians is a book about uh, Jesus being first place in everything. And this passage teaches us to put Jesus first in our work. Now, if we don't put Jesus first in our work, we'll put something else first. In our work, and the thing that is first in our work can't sustain being first in our work. It is a limited resources, and it will dry up, and then we will turn on one another. You've probably seen this in one way or another at your workplace. What happens when a person puts praise first at work? They do what they do in order to be seen by others. And the quality of the work is then determined on how much they expect their work will be noticed. Now, what happens then, that being a limited resource, when that dries up, when that person is not being noticed? 
Well, then they despise those who are being noticed, and they even seek to bring them down. What happens if someone puts a paycheck in first place at work? Money motivates everything they do at work. Quality is determined upon whether they feel that they have been compensated fairly. Then what happens when that resource is perceived to be cutting back? How how is morale affected when, when, when wages are lowered? What happens when suddenly the company begins to talk about layoffs? Well, they turn on each other. What happens if someone puts power in first place at work? They work, they do what they do in order to get promoted. And so that puts a strain on every relationship at work. They see coworkers as a means to an end. What happens when they perceive that someone else is going to get the promotion they want for themselves? You see what I mean? When limited resources run out in a population, and they always will, that population often turns on itself. The Bible teaches us to to put Jesus first at work, to do our work for His glory. The goal of work is to bring glory to God. And the only way that work works is if we put Jesus first at work. Because Jesus is the only unlimited resource. Now, I want you to understand something about work before we dig too deep into the details here. Work preceded the fall, work is not a curse, work is not even a part of the curse. Work was good. In the beginning of creation, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, there was no man to work the ground God had made. Then in verse 15 of Genesis 2, the Bible says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the man sinned rebelled against his creator, God. And then came the curse. Man's work continues, of course, but now work continues through toil. Man, whom God created out of the dust from the ground, sinned against God by taking fruit that was forbidden from the ground. And God said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Genesis 3 verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent that first man out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. The first man's sin And the curse upon that man's sin was then passed on to his children. The very next chapter, Genesis 4.12, we see Adam's own son Cain, God saying this to him, When you work the ground, it it shall no longer yield to you its strength. 
This is how it's been from the beginning. Work, once done in joy, as an act of worship, becomes toil, painful, frustrating. Or, to put it in modern parlance, it becomes stressful. It, it becomes service under a belligerent boss. And yes, your intuitions are correct. Sin is the reason there are so many conference calls. The full effect of the curse of Adam's sin was death. Sin brought death upon the human race, but the cross of Jesus Christ marked a reversal of that curse that was brought upon Adam. Jesus brought grace. This is Romans chapter 5. Many die through one man's trespass, that's Adam, and much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for them. Under the new covenant of God's grace, work can be redeemed for the glory of God. Now, work is still affected by sin, but it's important to see now that Christ has redeemed work. You see, if we only think of work as good, as something that will give us meaning and purpose and provision, well, then we'll always be frustrated by the results. And if we think work will only ever be bad because it's a part of the curse, well, then we'll fail to do our work to the glory of God. Here's what makes the difference. Why you do your work. You must put Jesus first at work. That's the main idea. Put Jesus first at work. In other words, do your work for Jesus Leave the results up to Jesus, because Jesus is the boss of everyone. (laughs) Those will serve as our three points today. Do your work for Jesus, leave the results to Jesus, and remember that Jesus is the boss of everyone. So, let's get to work in verse 22 to 24. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of I service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Well, the first thing I want you to note in this passage is to do with that word bond servants. The word bond servant in the original Greek means slave. Now, modern English translators of the Bible prefer bondservant to the word slave. And the reason is because many of us associate the word slave with the institution of slavery in the antebellum south. But ancient Greco-Roman slavery and chattel slavery of the 18th and 19th century Americas are very different. Ancient slavery was not the subjugation of a certain ethnicity. In Greco-Roman economy, people would become slaves through war or they might even sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt or something. So slaves came from all ethnicities and slaves were paid. 
legal freedom wasn't always a positive move for a slave. It meant that they would have to earn a living on their own. The ESV uses the word bondservant because it does get closer to the slavery of those days. And and I should probably also say that bondservant and employee, like we know employees today, they aren't the same thing either. None of us, at least to my knowledge, are working as indentured servants, even if your boss sometimes treats you like you are. However, the principles behind what the Apostle Paul is, is, is saying to slaves does apply to us all as workers. The main principle that we find behind Paul's instructions to slaves is this. The quality of your work is determined by who you're working for. The quality of your work is determined by who you're working for. And you, dear Christian, are working for the Lord Christ. So you read the apostles' words that come next. Obey in everything. Obey in everything. Does that sound familiar? Obey in everything? Well, it should. If you're a little kid and you paid attention to last week's message, those fr- that phrase should sound familiar. Children, obey your parents in everything. The idea here is that there is a structure to society. And the apostles just saying, Stay in your lane. Listen to your boss. There are several things in this passage that teach us how to honor the Lord with our work. And the first thing he says is, obey everything those earthly masters tell you to do. Obey. Do you want to know what the word obey means in Greek? It means obey. You know exactly what it means. (laughs) It's not difficult. There's no secret. It's do what has been asked of you. When your boss tells you to do something, friends, you just got to do that something. As long as that thing is not breaking God's law or man's law, we ought to attend to it, to listen to our bosses. Literally, the word means answer the door when someone knocks. But don't do it, Paul says, to be seen by others. Don't do it to curry the favor of man, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers. The praise of man, as we've already discussed, it's a limited resource. And it's going to dry up and it will leave you exhausted and disgruntled. Do it, verse 22 says, with sincerity of heart. Literally, the word means simply, with a simple heart, a concentrated singleness of will. Do what you're told and nothing less. With sincerity, with honesty, without pretense, without deceit, and do it, ready for this part? Fearing the Lord. Now, I don't know what role the fear of God plays in your work life. But when you clock out, when you leave the office, when you submit a report, when you put the kids down for naps, when you clean up after dinner, what part does the fear of God play in how you did 
what you did. According to Paul, it should play a part. Paul is saying that we should fear God when we do awake. Now, I, I don't really take him to mean that we should like be looking over our shoulder all the time because God's going to smack us for not doing a good job. Probably not. But what he's saying is that don't do what you do in order to be seen by your coworkers or by your bosses. Do what you are called to do because you know that you're being seen by someone far greater than your boss or coworkers. He says this because as a Christian, as those who claim the name of Christ, you are promoting the reputation of God in how you work. This is why verse 17 is so deeply connected with this whole section in Colossians. We are to be Godward, Godward in orientation in all aspects of our lives. Everything that we do is by faith, looking to Him in everything, depending on Him in all things. Isn't that what verse 23 is all about? Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, do it heartily. means do it with all of your heart. Christians don't give a half-hearted effort in anything. Slaves are to do their work with the constant realization that what they're doing, they're doing for the Lord himself. So do your work in such a way that doesn't call attention to yourself, but calls attention to the light of God that's coming out from you. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So we do a good job not to please men or not to be praised by men. We do a good job to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Do you see what that means? Do you see what fantastic news that is? It means that your work, no matter how menial it is, no matter how seemingly pointless your work is, your work is an act of worship. Therefore, your work is far more significant than you ever dreamed. Dear hourly employee, don't let yourself believe the lie that what you do doesn't matter. It only doesn't matter if you're doing it for yourself. But if you make that little switch in your heart and begin to do what you do for the glory of God, then it really, really matters. So do your work, dear friend, as if you're doing it for the Lord Jesus himself because you are jesus is your quality control manager so ask yourself over and over while you're doing your work does the quality of my labor reflect the value of my lord does the quality of my labor reflect the quality the 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 the, the worth and value of my Lord. 
He, the most glorious one, shed his blood for you. How much does he deserve? He deserves only your best, right? My utmost for his highest, to borrow a phrase. Now, who among us does this consistently? Another effect of sin on work is that it affects it affects our heart. We don't do work for the right reasons. We do work for all kinds of wrong reasons. But the good news is that there is grace for us in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus did all things well. Well, what is the basis for Jesus doing all things well? The Bible tells us that too. Jesus related everything to his love from and his love for his father. Before Jesus even began his ministry work, his father spoke those formative words over him. Beloved, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. After his ministry began, Jesus' work began to be questioned by others, and he responded with calling back to his relationship to his Father. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John fourteen thirty one. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. The Lord Jesus grounded his work in his Father's love for him. And he saw his own work as an expression of his love for his father. This is the secret to doing your work for the right reasons. You have been united to Christ. The father's love for his eternal son, which empowered him to do his work, is yours. Because you are in him. The same love that God the Father had for God the Son, and that love which empowered God the Son to do his work that you benefited from, is now yours because you have been united to Christ. This is what Paul says next From the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. This is your reward, dear Christian worker. You, you might be underpaid and you might be overworked and you might even be both of those things, but heaven will see to your balance sheet. Your reward isn't your paycheck, friend. Your reward is the prince of heaven. Your reward is in heaven. This is what Paul taught us earlier in chapter 3. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things in the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. How annoying it must be for non-Christians to work with Christians who do their job so well, expecting nothing in return. 
just always looking for that reward in heaven. Do your work for Jesus, fam. Well, you may be working for Jesus. Well, that doesn't mean everyone is. You may be doing your job sincerely and fearing the Lord. Well, that doesn't mean that your boss is. It doesn't mean that your coworkers are. Some are not doing their job so well. Some are doing less than their job. And that makes it hard on everyone. So what do we do then when we're working next to someone who is doing wrong? Well, for the answer to that, we turn to the next verse, verse 25. We leave the results to Jesus. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So keep these three things in mind. The Lord watches, the Lord rewards, and the Lord does not play favorites. Do your job, trust Jesus, and sleep well. The Lord watches. Do your job for His sake. But realize the Lord isn't just watching you do your work. The Lord is watching over you while you do your work. It means the quality of your job is not dependent on whether or not someone else is doing theirs. If you're part of a team and someone is not pulling their weight, it doesn't give you a free pass to not do your job. Look, if everyone is cutting corners, dear Christian, make sure your corners are nice and crisp and clean. If everyone is complaining about the company, why not talk about all the benefits that we have at the company. If it's typical in your workplace for your coworkers to extend their lunch break, why would you want to be typical? Paul is telling these bond servants, the Lord watches, the Lord rewards. How well your fellow bond servant does his or her job is between them and the Lord. It has no bearing on how well you do yours. Now, of course, it probably means that you may have to pick up their slack. But your reward is in heaven. It just means more rewards. Because you've been given so much, you can serve so freely. We were running, remember, full sprint on our way to hell indifferent to the things of God, ignoring the Spirit of God. And God displayed His love to sinners like us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And He saved us from our sin and united us to His Son. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. All that we have is by grace undeserved. All that we are is by grace ill-deserved. And so we owe God everything. And we're delighted to offer Him our very lives and entrust every result to Him. And so it is. For as undeserving as we are, the word fair, it never even enters our mind. Fair would mean that we would spend eternity in hell. But God did not 
show us fairness. He showed us mercy. All that we have is by grace. And so what if we're mistreated? And so what if someone takes advantage of you at work? Turn to Jesus. Leave the results to him. Besides, the Lord has already taught us about fair distribution of labor in Luke chapter 17. Listen to this passage carefully. The Lord asks, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once, recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. What, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that was commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Do your job. Leave the results to Jesus. Well, that's fine for us. What about bosses? Do they get a free pass? What does God have to say to bosses? Well, this is our last point, and we find it in chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is the boss of everyone. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. In heaven. There's an interesting word play going on throughout this passage that I've waited till now to point out. The word masters in the Greek language is the word kudios. Kudios. It's the word that's often always translated, almost always translated in your Bible as Lord. As in, in verse 24, the Lord Christ. The translators are helping us in verse 1 by translating masters as Masters, and literally the, the verse reads, Lords, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a Lord. Because that's what Paul's been doing in this whole passage. He's putting Jesus first in all things, in all relationships. Slaves and employees are to put Jesus first and to work heartily for their little L Lords because they're remembering that they're actually doing their labor for their big L Lord. And masters and bosses are to remember that they have a master in heaven too. And he sees how they treat their direct reports. So treat your bond servants justly and fairly. Pay them what is just. Pay them what is fair. And remember that the Lord always hears the cries of the oppressed. Bosses are warned in James chapter 5 verse 4 not to pick a fight with God by cheating their employees. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Bosses and those who hire contractors, pay people what you owe them, Otherwise, you'll end up having to pay God what you owe Him. There's a tendency in some folks who wake up on third base to act like they hit a triple. And whether you're a boss or whether you're being bossed, remember there is a God in heaven who sees all and who hears all. Some of you 
will return to work this week. I'm praying for you. Some of you will return to work next week. I'm praying for you. Some of you never left work. I continue to pray for you. Some of you work in the home. Whatever you do, whatever work you do, do it for the glory of God. This decision is placed in front of you every day, every beginning of your shift, every morning. Will I do my work for the Lord's sake or will I do it for my own sake? Will I put Jesus first or something else? And if you find yourself starved for resources, tempted to turn to your coworkers, to your direct reports as a part of the problem, well, it's likely that you've put something else other than Jesus first at work. Put Jesus first and enjoy doing your job with limitless joy and make the quality of your labor reflect reflect the value of your Lord. Jesus is your quality control manager. I want to end today with some instructions from the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly toward outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we appeal to you through Jesus. We look to him as our Savior. He is the perfect one, sinless in all his work. He did all things for your glory, and he pleased you in every way. And Lord, we recognize that we're not like him. We've not labored for your glory. We have labored for our own. Will you forgive us? Jesus is our righteousness. We have none of our own. So we look to him. Merciful God, show us mercy. Father, will you enable us to do our work in a way that is fitting as a follower of Jesus? He did all things well. Will you grant to us the power to do our jobs well in a way that is pleasing to you? Give us grace. Make us faithful servants of the Lord, easily contented, because all that we need, we already have in Jesus. Amen. Your assurance of pardon this morning comes from Psalm chapter 33, verse 22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Grace and peace.